0: Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 378 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Thursday morning, January 13th, 2022, and Duke is back in the win column with a 76-64 win over Wake Forest. It's their first ACC road win of the season, first road win of the season as a whole, and we will recap all the good and the bad. And we even have some audio from the post-game press conference. We will also preview the next game, which is a weekend matchup with NC State. But first, I'm Donald Wine, your host for this episode. I have my two friends with me, as always, Jason Evans and Sam Klein. First of all, Jason, good morning to you,
1: sir. Hey, good morning, Donald. Um, wow, there was a, for, for a sort of, you know, I guess rudimentary ACC road game, there was just a lot of interesting, interesting stuff that happened last night. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a very interesting game. Uh, we're, we're
0: obviously going to talk about all of it. Uh, But first, Sam, good morning to you as well.
2: Yeah, normally, uh, at least the last few years, road game at Wake Forest is like, all right, road game at Wake Forest. I think that's like the most to me, that's like the most normal ACC game there is. Um, But this was anything but.
0: Yeah, I mean, a couple of years ago, we had that game that went to overtime where both teams scored 100 points inexplicably uh, during the Zion, RJ, Cam years. But uh, yeah, this one. Wait, wait, dude, that dude, that,
1: that game the double overtime game, that's the Justin Robinson game.
0: It is a Justin Robinson game. I was just saying it was a couple years ago. Yeah. It seems it seems like yesterday that we were talking about that game on the show. And now we get to talk about yet another kind of wild sequenced game uh, that had many, many parts into it. Uh, but let's get right into it. Let's recap this game against Wake Forest. They win again, 76-64 in a game that started out, and we have to start out with the news that just before uh, – tip off we learned that coach k did not make the trip to winston-salem it was announced he had a non-covid related virus i will repeat that a non-covid related virus so of course we hope that coach k is feeling better this morning he continues to rest up and get better we obviously want to see him back on the bench really soon but because of this illness we did get a sneak peek at john shire the head coach as he took the reins last night in k's absence so before we get into the good As we normally do, we will certainly discuss that and hear more from John Shire. But gentlemen, I want to start with the headline as we always do. Sam, we'll start with yours.
2: You teed me up perfectly. I just had Griffin and Shire move to starring roles for Duke. Very simple.
0: I like that. Uh, Jason, what
2: do you got? That was
1: it. Yeah. And um, uh, it's almost like Sam and I were looking at each other's uh, papers and cheating off each other because I have a very similar headline. My headline is new lineup, new coach, no problems. Interesting. I like it. Uh, So mine is a little
0: bit interesting. Mine is Duke's case of the runs has perfect timing to spark huge win over Wake Forest. I don't know if I like that.
2: (laughs) I I I didn't think you would. I'm not,
1: I'm not thrilled about that, but you know what? It's appropriate. I mean, at least it's appropriate. It's true. (laughs) I don't like it, but it's true.
0: Talking, talking about the runs is always
1: appropriate. Yes.
0: (laughs) Uh, well, it it helps when it's twenty two to one. So, uh, oh, you were talking about something else. We'll we'll save that for. That's another show. But, <laughs> I was like, I don't. Is that an illness thing? No, no, we're good. Uh, we're just gonna go straight to the good, since mine was bad.
1: We'll go straight to the good, and I, I want to preface
0: this that we want Donald do this Donald section. really quick. You know,
1: people mm-hmm. come to us for the inside poop. I don't think they want to talk about that kind of inside poop.
0: Well, is this the uh, is this the old <laughs> ACC recruiting uh, page? Your
2: poop mind sheet. is in the
0: gutters, poop both sheet. of you. I was talking about basketball. I don't know what you guys were talking about, but I digress. I was talking about <laughs> oh. actually
2: I was I was on topic because I was talking about those ugly T-shirts
0: that the Wake Forest students wear to the games. Oh, yeah. Those were terrible. We, yeah. The, the, we, we won't discuss those. Yeah. Yeah. They're not they're not worthy of being discussed on this show. But OK, I want to get to the good. We're going to do this section a bit differently than you, we normally do because, as I mentioned, we got some audio from John Shire, Wendell Moore, uh, and others who were made available to media last night after the game. Obviously, they always have a post-game press conference, but this time, because it was virtual, Jason was able to join and get us some audio. And we're going to kind of weave it into this portion of the discussion because a lot of it was dealing with stuff that happened that was really good. So I want to start there. Jason. Talk to us about what you learned from the press conference as we kind of dive into this good section from last night.
1: Yeah. And the first thing I'm going to do uh, is I'm going to let you hear a piece of sound from from me talking to Wendell Moore. And and the the topic here is the adjustments that Duke made at halftime, which I think is one of the biggest stories from this game. And you know, after we hear from Wendell, we can talk a little bit more about, about what Duke did in the first half and what they did in the second half. Actually, we should save the first half stuff for when we talk about the bad. <laughs> uh, well, I guess we will primarily talk about the adjustments that Duke made in the second half. But before we get to that, um, Wendell Moore was one of the players who, who came on and, and spoke to the media and, and I asked him specifically about what John Shire said to the team to, to get Duke to turn around, because frankly the team that Duke was for most of the first half and the team that Duke was for the, uh, for the second half, completely different animals. <laughs> And so here is uh, Wendell Moore talking to me about the halftime adjustments. Yeah, Wendell, I wanted to ask about halftime, because in the first half, you guys only had three assists in the whole first half. I mean, frankly, it seemed like you were struggling to get into much offensive flow. Did, did John Shire say anything special to you guys at the halftime? Um, what, what was the message there that got us to have such a turnaround then for the second half?
3: Yeah.
2: and His message was just really just kind of calm down and get back to playing Duke basketball how we were playing. Uh, I'd probably say in the first, right, first four to five minutes, we had good offense. Uh, everybody was moving the ball again, touching your feet inside. Uh, Apollo was just going to work. I- I and mean, kind of towards the end of that, we kind of got away from it, got, uh, kind of got to a lot of one-on-one stuff. Uh, so his message was just
3: really just to settle down, um, get back to playing how we were playing, just take... I uh, really just every advantage defense gives us. And, I mean, we don't got to force anything.
1: So, uh, as Wendell said, in the first half, this Duke team was just going one-on-one. And, uh, and like I said, I'll I'll wait until we get to the bad to talk about that extensively. But, but in the second half, Duke was sharing the ball just so much better than they were in the first half. They had 10 second-half assists, which is a pretty good number. Um, and, uh, you know, it was it was Palo Bencaro and A.J. Griffin who were borderline unstoppable when those two guys are hitting step back threes as they did in the second half. Forget about it because you have to play them for the drive because they're so great at putting the ball on the floor and, and driving. And, uh, you know, uh, to me, the fact that Duke figured out a way to turn around a bad first half into a really great second half was, you know, it was just a sign of a team that's maturing and and getting a lot better. We were – I thought we were incredibly lucky to be up six points at the half. We had that little 8-0 run in the final seconds of the first half when, you know, really that that first half we could have easily been down. Um, and then, you know, like I said, in the second half we we started sharing the ball better and Wake just like fell asleep on D a few times. Um, I, I, th- I thought Wake Forest was – I was expecting them to be better on defense than they were. and. Uh, for them to, like, uh, the, the inbounds passes, there were, like, back-to-back inbounds passes where Wake just fell asleep and gave Duke, you know, lobs for, for slam dunks. And that gives you, th- those kind of plays give you so much energy as a team, and they sap the energy from the opposition so much, it, it demoralizes your opponent. Um, and, and the other thing I wanted to note about it was, and uh, we can talk more specifically about, about Paulo Bancaro, but in the second half, Paulo had often had a smaller man on him. And he was taking that smaller man into the post, and Wake had no answer. And I'm really surprised that Steve Forbes and the Wake Forest team wasn't able to come up with some way to get the ball out of Paulo's hands because he was burning them so badly. If you, To me, one of the most telling statistics in this game is that Paulo Bencaro had one assist. And by that, I mean they didn't force him to give up the ball. They didn't force Paulo to find his Duke teammates. They just allowed him to keep on taking the ball into the post and scoring. And that's that's not a good way to play against Duke because Paulo is too good one-on-one in the post. So, uh, you know, I, I just thought the story of the game was the way Duke adjusted at halftime and and the way Paulo was able to take over. And then after he took over a little bit, AJ took over and forget about it. All right, I'm, I'm covering too much stuff. I want not let you guys- I actually
2: think, Jason, that- that NC State did what they, or excuse me, <laughs> NC State. I'm looking ahead to to this weekend. I think that Wake Forest did what they could with Paulo Banquero because he wasn't efficient last night. There were a lot of missed shots, a lot of altered shots. I actually think that they were probably, you know, realizing that they did not have the size to to overcome him. So it was, kind but they're of one put of the bigger. T-
1: they're one of the bigger teams in the ACC. though. I I,
2: I tall I think, and I think big are different. Yeah, I, I think it's. I think effectively they don't have what it takes to to contain him, and so there's an element of all right. There's this guy who's an, a great scorer from from you know everywhere on the court. Fine, he's going to take a lot of the shots. I think they were probably trying to contain other guys, and it just didn't work because AJ Griffin was so efficient. Um, Wendell Moore had had you know w- we can get to this in the bad, but like Wendell Moore didn't have as much of the offensive output. I actually think part of that is is the the design of having griffin in the game more taking more shots the shots have to come from somewhere and coming back to paulo um paulo does not have an efficient night but he, he like he still manages to score a lot but he facilitates and and he he creates opportunities for other guys to be open he doesn't have the assists but he um you know he, he draws the attention away and so is aj griffin able to to have the great night that he does without Paulo being on the floor. I'm not sure that that's necessarily possible. So the good here is that Duke brings a lot of weapons and that they and you know if one guy is is not quite as efficient, somebody else is. Paulo actually, you know, if you're looking at the at the shot charts, Paulo has a probably has a better first half than he does second half, but he draws so much of the attention that um that that things just work. The, the the rest of the Duke offense works a little bit better in the second half. I've talked in previous games about how I'm still kind of flummoxed that the that the Duke offense rates so highly in Ken Palm, given how much isolation there is uh, in in the offensive sets. Much better on the on in the second half on that front last night, and so I'm 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 much happier seeing the Duke offense work the way it did for that first ten minutes of the second half. Than I probably have in the last few weeks.
0: I will say though, as much as we talk about the halftime adjustments, and and those were great to come out and really go on that what appeared to be it was like a sixteen to one run or something to start the second half. I want to go back to the to end of the first half because I really think the adjustments started there with fifty four seconds left. I know that carries into this run, this twenty two to one run that they had, but they. With 54 seconds left, I just want to go through the sequence of what happened. All right. So 54 seconds left. Wake Forest is at the free throw line. They, they had just made a shot. They missed the, the free throw. Williams gets the rebound. We get a two-pointer for Wendell Moore. Then they run the offense, Wake Forest does. And then Trevor Keels steals the ball, gets it out to Wendell Moore, who then gets it back to Keel's for a three-pointer. At that point, if you notice, John Shire is trying to call a timeout, but he gets beaten to the punch by, by Brooks. So Wake Forest calls a timeout. Immediately out of that timeout, they run a play. AJ Griffin snuffs it out immediately, gets the draws the offensive foul. And then on the end of the play, they call we call a timeout, set up a play, and we go down and we get a three-pointer from AJ Griffin to close out the half. I think some of those halftime adjustments started with 54 seconds left in the game because you could clearly see John Schreier and Nolan Smith, who I know we'll talk about in a minute as well. We're clearly going to these guys saying, hey, watch for this play. This guy's getting the ball. Let's start this flow right now. And then when this happens, Trevor, you go over here. Because it was very clear, like even take the first 19 minutes of the first half out of the equation, that last minute was quite different. And it fueled what what went on the locker room. And they came out with a purpose in the second half. And I think they realized from that run, that little mini run to end the first half, that they could impose their will whenever they wanted to. And now was the time. They came out of Blake, uh, came out guns blazing,
1: and the rest is history. You know, it, it, this is one of these games where it's really tough for me to separate the good from the bad because there's so much of the good that sort of weaves in what happened, you know, the bad that, that happened in this game. And, and so I'm, I'm going to get into a little bit of something that happened in the first half that then changes in the second half that I think we just have to talk about right now. Which, which is the the ball movement and the shot selection, and specifically the assists, because Donald, what you just noted uh, about about what Duke did in the final minute. Uh, so so I went back and I I looked at the box score I, I, during the first half. I was like, wow, we, we just it doesn't feel like we're moving the ball very much at all. We're we're doing nothing but going one on one, and I I I checked the box score at the 18 minute mark. You know, just two minutes into the game. Uh, I, I talked about the fact that Paulo had one one assist. he He got his one assist. He passed to AJ Griffin and and they got a three pointer. Um, It was one of the few times that that Paulo sort of got doubled in the post. and and so he passed it out to AJ and he hit a three pointer. That's the eighteen minute mark. Duke doesn't get another assist in the entire first half until we get to that final minute when AJ. Griffin fed Mark Williams for a dunk, and then Wendell Moore found Trevor Keels, like you were talking about, Donald, for a wide open three pointer. So Duke goes, 17 minutes of the first half without getting an assist. That's stunning to me. This is a team. First of all, you you'd think you would just happen into an assist at some point. You know, some, one of them would just happen. You know, somehow on its own. But and we and we we do assist better than most teams in the
0: country. And and couple that with the fact that we rarely turn the ball over. We've had a, obviously a couple games that's happened. Our assist to turnover ratio is one of what the top five in the country. So like. It's, yeah. it's one of those things that you've come to expect Duke to be moving the ball around. And I thought in the first half, honestly, like watching the game in real time, I didn't think the offense was as stagnant as it was until I looked at the box score. I remember telling my best friend like, oh, it doesn't seem like we've only had three assists, but there was a point where you go, yeah, the offense is kind of stagnated. That was why they just weren't able to find guys open for some reason. And it's not like they were turning
1: the ball over. They just weren't getting open looks at the basket. Yeah. And it bears out in the field goal percentage. Like it wasn't that Duke was shooting that poorly. It's that they were taking bad shots because they were just relying on going one-on-one in the first half Duke's field goal percentage was 42%. That's bad. That is problematic. 42%. You're not going to win a lot of games that way in the second half Duke shot 60.7%. And again, it wasn't just that they were shooting better. It's that they were getting better shots. It's just a huge difference when you get a better shot. another thing on the good that I wanted to
2: highlight is that if you look at the minutes played in this game, I feel like they uh, more accurately reflect the uh, <laughs> the sort of overall quality of this team and and if we if we want to transition to talking about Shire a little bit, um, looking at the at the way the lineup was constructed and and the way that he used substitutions yesterday, I thought felt more like what the end state for Duke is going to look like this year than it had in previous games. Obviously, Wendell Moore and Paulo Bancaro are gonna play nearly every minute for Duke, even in a game where, you know, Duke, Duke kind of had had Wake Forest at a distance for most of the second half after they went on that run, but more and bank play nearly every minute. AJ Griffin has emerged in a way that makes it very hard to take him off the court on offense and on defense. Um, Keels had Trevor Keels may have, may have fallen off a little bit in this game, but uh, we, we think that there may be some injury concern there and, you know, hopefully he's hopefully he's rehabbing that a little bit while being able to stay on the court. I will
0: say he had a plus 27 last night, which is incredible. I think that <laughs> for might be hurt. one of the biggest outputs of the season. So that means like when he was on the court, a lot of things were good were happening when he was on the court. And yeah, he had that injury um, but in the second half. But I feel like when he was in the game, he you know just seemed to change a lot of the dynamic of what was going on. And, and he was looking for guys. He may not have gotten the assist in every play,
1: but he was starting the ball movement around, especially in that second half during the run. I, I, and I then thought... It- the- so the the injury to me it looked like we should just address this really quickly it it, it was it was like a shoulder or arm thing and it looked like it might have been muscular uh, like he wasn't holding it in a way that said his shoulder is or something like that I think it you know it may have just been like a little bit of a pulled muscle uh in there I I don't think it's going to be too bad we haven't we haven't heard official word yet and hopefully it's it's uh, you know it's nothing serious but um you know I was just relieved that it wasn't uh, you know, something that you look bad with a leg or something like that could be, you know, troublesome for a while. And then looking down the rest of the lineup, the guys who,
2: who, you know, sort of are taking more of a backseat because of AJ Griffin's getting these additional minutes. Mark Williams is is down to in the 25, 20 to 25 minute game uh, range. He played 22 last night. And then, of course, Jeremy Roach going to the bench. I actually think that this is a um, that this is a good thing for Duke, not just because I think that the best lineup is the one that started last night, but because I, I I think it actually is a motivator for Roach and will, will force him to kind of recalibrate his, his role on the team. Not that I, I think that he's, he's not important, um, but it, it sort of tells him that like, look, you're not, <laughs> Jeremy Roach is not the point guard, the way that we all sort of assumed he was going into the season. Wendell Moore is the point guard on this team. And I think he played more point guard last night than, um, then, we had sort of been thinking about in, in recent weeks, he doesn't take as many of the shots last night. He's not the focus on offense, the way that, that Griffin and Bancaro are. And I think that's the, the, the key to success for this Duke team. If Jeremy Roach is able to be more of a super sub than being a, he must be on the court at all times kind of guy,
1: uh, you know, in our recap last week of, of Duke's loss to Miami, I mentioned that I wanted Duke to find a way to get. A.J. Griffin, Paulo Bancaro, and Mark Williams on the floor together. That, that was a lineup I really wanted to see if Duke could, could find a way to exploit because for the most part, we were seeing A.J. Griffin get time at, at power forward you know, and moving Paulo over to, to, to center. Um, I know Duke doesn't play with positions, but you guys understand what I'm saying. Uh, Duke figured out a way to get the three of those guys on the floor together. They, they all started. <laughs> they put A.J. in the starting lineup, and lo and behold, suddenly all three of those guys were on the floor together, and I thought they worked together really, really well. Um, you know, AJ scores 22 points on 11 shots. Uh, he was, he was fabulous in this game. And, and guys, I wanted to get to, if we can, a little more of my, my sound that I, that I got from the, the post-game interviews. And I wanted to specifically um, let, let folks hear from um, head coach in waiting and head coach for one game, John Shire. Um, here's Steve Wiseman, one of the beat reporters, one of the best reporters for covering Duke basketball. He asked coach Shire, about the lineup change, about moving A.J. into the starting lineup. Here's what Shire had to say about that. John, what was the main idea behind the, the lineup change, and, and what did that give you tonight?
3: Well, first of all, it gave us great size. You know, it's a, that group that we put out there to begin the game. It's a big team. You know, I mean, Trevor Keels and Wendell Moore is your two smallest players, and they're big guards. They can switch really really well, switch, you know, one through four times, one through five. And A.J. Griffin has just been coming on. You know, he's just been playing really well. Uh, still need Jeremy to come through big for us, and he did that in the second half. Uh, but it's really A.J.'s emergence, uh, the consistency that Mark Williams has had, and then really the spotlight and highlight Paulo Moncaro. And Paulo played a terrific game. You know, thought at the end there he had a chance to have 30-plus. But uh, he he just really carried us, especially in the beginning of the game, the way he set the tone. Uh, But uh, so I think that lineup helped. And uh, again, we'll we'll be ready to make changes as the the season goes on. Uh, Look, obviously, John Shire knows a lot more
1: about basketball than uh, than than the rest of us. But he said a lot of stuff there that I think is pretty obvious. Uh, Having AJ in there makes Duke more switchable. It's a big creates a big lineup. But guys who can guard guys who are smaller than them. And, and like he said, you know, it means that we have all these guys who can switch, you know, one through four, maybe even one through five. The other thing he said was that it allows them to, to spotlight Paulo Bancaro a little bit more and, and allowed Paulo to, to carry the team a little bit, bit extra. I, I think, you know, AJ maybe is, he's a very good ball handler, but he's not going to sort of have the ball in his hands quite as much maybe as Jeremy Roach because he's not, you know, sort of a traditional point guard type. And and maybe as a result, that puts the ball in, in Paulo Banquero's hands a, a little tiny bit extra. I also think that AJ's shooting creates more spacing. Not that Jeremy Roach isn't a good shooter. Roach is a, you know, he's much better than he was last year. He's a he's a good shooter, but he's not the shooter that AJ Griffin is. And And just having an extra guy like that on the floor creates extra space for Paulo to operate. That step back three from
0: AJ Griffin that he has in his arsenal is lethal. And we were able to see it quite a bit last night in just the way that again you you said he's not going to have the ball in his hands he's not going to be the one you know trying to dribble drive and and create and distribute but he has that option when he has the ball to take a couple of dribbles and make it where a guy is six inches in his face and then the next second he's six feet away from his face and he has all that room to shoot so uh, i thought that was a good move by uh, by john by by coach k and the coaching staff i do want to Point out about John that we got a glimpse a little bit of his of his coaching style, right? Like he's not gonna be calling timeouts yelling on people's faces. Like if people are thinking, yo, he's just an extension of coach A, hey, he is not, he is John Shire. And what I saw a lot, and Jason, I want to go back to you because I, I think he addressed this directly, is he had his assistants working a little bit more, he had his assistants kind of more active in the game telling him what they're seeing and kind of making it more of a collaborative effort, which I thought was very interesting. So uh, why don't you talk about John, the coach, because I think that was uh, one of the main dynamics of the game is looking at the future of Duke basketball.
1: Yeah. Uh, so Luke DeCock uh, is one of the reporters who was on the uh, on the postgame news conference. And he asked John Shire specifically about uh, his approach to coaching this game. Um, and, and I love the answer because, like you said, Donald, uh, folks, you're going to hear Shire talk about his assistance and what a key role they played in, in the Duke's success this game. Have a listen. Hey
0: John, uh, obviously not the first time you've stepped in as coach, uh, but the first time since the future
2: changed a little bit and i'm just curious if you took any kind of different approach to tonight than
0: you might have the bc game a year ago just because you have a different outlook on what this might be like going forward
1: this episode of the duke basketball roundup is sponsored by better help springtime is the
0: season that's supposed to feel like a new beginning we have better weather and it feels like everyone gains a boost of energy however for many leaving winter behind doesn't always mean that their mood lightens up with the extra sunlight. We all carry around stress, and that stress can build as more events get added to your calendar.
1: That's certainly true, Donald. And with the amount of social gatherings increasing with the improving weather and more daylight, there's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, coworkers, even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about. That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional, licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime you want. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social
0: sweet spot. Visit betterhelp.com slash Duke Roundup today to get ten percent off your first month. That's betterhelp h e-l p dot com slash duke roundup.
3: Honestly, no. I mean it wasn't a different outlook. It was you better win or that, that call to coach K afterwards. It's going to be fun. You know, you don't want to let him down. But uh, no, I think there's just more of a comfort that you have, you know, the first time doing it. First of all, it's not, it's never comfortable when you're coaching in Cameron and nobody's there. So that's, that's not comfortable like to begin with, which is what it was last year coaching against BC. Uh, but, you know, comfortable, confident, you know, very confident in our staff being able to step up, you know, I had the scout. And so, uh, you know, where there are multiple voices that we could, that our players could hear, you know, Nolan Smith stepped up and crammed basically for, you know, several hours there just to, you know, know Wake more and to know their specials and you could see him yelling out their plays. Uh, so just just the, the uh, chemistry with our staff, the, the confidence in each other, I think that played even a bigger part in what we did tonight.
1: I mean, I, I, I adore what he had to say there about, about Nolan Smith and the, that Nolan, you know, stepped up, crammed on Wake, you know, really put in a lot of effort, and then was sort of the lead voice telling the team what Wake was trying to do uh, on, on each one of their possessions. And, and I thought Duke's defense was excellent. Uh, Wake Forest is a very, very good offensive team. That's sort of where they've hung their hat this season. Uh, you know, Duke ends up holding them to 64 points, which is a, a really low output for Wake Forest. And uh, Wendell Moore, by the way, was a key part of that. Uh, Alondis Williams, who's a fabulous player. I mean, you know, clearly a strong contender for first-team all-ACC. And for us to force Alondis Williams into, uh, you know, he, he, he struggled finding the shots he wanted. He committed seven turnovers. That's a huge number. That was where I thought Wendell was really great, was he put Alondis in in positions where Alondis wasn't comfortable. And as a result, he committed seven turnovers. Alonis Williams had four of his shots blocked. Um, I I, I thought Duke, you know, even though Alondis Williams got 25 points, which is a big number um, I I thought Duke did a really outstanding job identifying what Wake wanted to do on offense and then taking that away from them.
0: I think there is definitely times for John Shire where you could see what his coaching style was like with the players. I know a couple of guys on this uh, audio uh, asked about how the players reacted to him differently than last year. And he, I think he joked at one point, he was like, well, there was fans in the stands last night. There wasn't when I, when he did the uh, interim coaching job last year uh, in an empty Cameron, but there was a point where Mark Williams, he had just picked up his third file and you could see he was dejected because in my mind, it really wasn't a foul he immediately pulled him over and he kind of just was talking to him as we went to commercial break. You could kind of see him just kind of, Hey, like you're doing fine. You're doing exactly what you need to do. And just kind of giving him a few, you know, pointers, just, just talking to him man to man. Of course, you know, Mark Williams was upset, but he was able to calm Mark down because I think this was right. I think uh, as we enter the second half. And so he knew like, yo, you're going to be a big part of the second half. And sure enough, when we came out of the, of the break, Mark Williams is all over the place and and was making it happen. And I know he had the foul trouble, but when he was in the game, he was active on defense, especially. And even if he wasn't getting blocks, he was getting a couple of key rebounds and leading fast breaks with those rebounds. He did. I mean, that's, I I like that. We got to see again, a glimpse of the future of what we can expect from John Shire, the head coach.
2: Yeah. I, I appreciated how much he shared with us about the, the kind of behind the scenes what it takes to to prepare for the game and how much they had to to change their roles because by the way, this is how it's going to look next year. you know we we don't know for sure that the rest of the coaching staff. I think we can be pretty sure that Nolan Smith is still around. I don't know if if Chris Carwell and or Emil Jefferson are going to be exactly in the roles that they're in this year. You could definitely imagine Chris Carwell getting a head coaching job if he, if he really wanted it, um, Emile Jefferson presumably gets to bump up to being a full assistant. Um, but neither of those is guaranteed. So, you know, it's possible that, that Duke brings in another assistant, but I do think this is going to be Shire with Nolan Smith as the, you know, associate head coach or, or very near, uh, assistant, you know, top assistant head coach here. And, uh, and Sam, we got that
1: preview. I'm, I'm going to disagree on that, Sam. I, I think, uh, yeah, Carwell might get a head coaching job, but if he doesn't, and I, I think there's a decent chance he doesn't look, it's hard to predict when guys are going to get coaching jobs. I think Carwell becomes the associate head coach. Um, Nolan Smith is clearly taking a big, big role in recruiting and, and I, he is someone whose coaching star is on the rise. But, but I think just the years that Carwell has on him. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, I I think Carroll is going to be the associate head coach next year. That's but That's, we're into rampant speculation. We don't know.
0: Yeah, uh, I I will say I don't know whose whose call it was to draw up some of these out of bounds plays, but they were working last night. <laughs> so shout out to the entire coaching staff for those out of bounds plays.
2: I'm going to guess it was John Shire only because when John Shire was a player, he was the one that was executing all of the best out of bounds. Yeah, plays. from the out of bounds. He was yeah. the master of the like of the. You know, hit the defender in the back with the ball and, and, and just get the easy layup or like, or like, you know, inbound very quickly and then find, a, find an open three and, and get the ball back to you. So I feel like John
0: Shire was the master of that as a player. The amount of dunks that we saw from out of bounds plays last night is more than we've seen from a Duke team in a long time. And they were all at key points where it was like, oh, Wake Forest thinks I might be catching back. Nope, nope, game over. While we're on the
2: topic of the, uh, of the lineup and, and the way that John Shire constructed the lineup. Can I go to an email that we got? Uh, I, I can't remember now I'm pulling it up if it was last night or this morning. Um, I think it was, yeah, it was late last night from uh, listener, Jonathan, who, who emails us from time to time who said uh, that that opening stretch of the second half with that lineup, let's do that. That was his, his comment <laughs> yeah. about it. And I just, I wa- I, agree. I wanted to appreciate that email because <laughs> I think he was feeling exact. He, he expressed uh, very succ- succinctly, what Duke fans were feeling last night about uh, the way that, that the opening to that second half went.
0: Okay. Jason wrap this up with the good. uh, We have to go back to the man that is named his government name, Adrian Darnell Griffin, Jr. We know him as AJ and we know him as a boss.
1: Yeah. there's one other thing I wanted to point out about AJ Griffin. Uh, And and this is a guy who, you know, we look at his, he's got a great shot. He's, he's a fabulous athlete. But I wanted to talk about um, his basketball IQ, because the more I watch A.J. Griffin, the more I think that this guy, you can tell he's a coach's son, that he grew up around basketball. Uh, There was a moment in the second half. Folks, if you still have the tape of this game, go to about the 16 minute mark. And there's a series where Wake Forest has the ball. And it's one of these series where where the rebound, it's just really tough to get a rebound. Like both teams are battling. I think the, you know, they, Wake takes a shot, the ball gets knocked out of bounds, you know, as both teams are fighting. It's just one of these possessions where it felt like everybody was trying to rebound and no one could grab it. Um, And, and in the midst of this possession where there were, you know, big men after big man after big man, two big teams, Duke and Wake Forest, trying to get the ball, everyone trying to grab it, no one can grab it. AJ goes up. He can't grab it, but you see him really perfectly identify exactly where Trevor Keels is on the wing. And he directs the ball over to Trevor Keels. Rather than grabbing it, he taps it to Trevor. And Trevor immediately turns up court. Duke is suddenly racing the other direction really fast. And we end up getting a vicious dunk by Paulo Bancaro out of it. it, it the whole thing takes like, you know, three seconds. Um, it was, it, it, like I said, it was at the 16-minute mark. It was, Duke was starting to pull away, but Duke hadn't pulled away yet. Um, it was one of these kind of plays where, Like I talked about, it's demoralizing to the opposing team. They're battling so hard for the rebound and suddenly we are running the other direction. But the play starts, you talk about the hockey assist. You know, you don't get an assist in the record book. I'm not even sure that AJ got a rebound in the record book for this, but you saw him clearly understand what he was doing. And it's just a super high IQ basketball play. And you see that from him again and again. And, you know, like I said a second ago, for someone with his athletic and basketball gifts to also have a high basketball IQ. Wow. And, and, you know, we're not going to play the sound from it, but Wendell Moore at one point, um, in the post game, Wendell, they asked Wendell about AJ moving into the starting lineup and Wendell almost got choked up for a second because I was going to say, I could hear it on, on the audio. Yeah. You, you, you heard him talking about how hard AJ works. Um, and and just recognizing that this is a guy who who's going to be a, a super special talent, and who has fought through so much adversity from all those injuries, uh, and and to now be in the starting lineup. And Wendell was like, "Y'all don't understand. We've been seeing it in practice. We know what this guy can do." Uh, Duke, Duke was Duke was one of the best teams in the land when when AJ Griffin was barely contributing, and I just think you know the player we saw last night. If that if that's the AJ Griffin that Duke is going to get consistently. Moving forward, um, man, you got to feel like this seems to be playing in New Orleans at the end of the year.
2: There are two kinds of uh, players who are the offspring of of athletes themselves, and some of them are entitled and, and feel like, well, you know, my dad or my mom was so and so like I must be this great. And then there's AJ Griffin and Paulo who fit into the second category of, of guys who recognize how their athletic parents, how hard their athletic parents had to work to get to where they got to and appreciating that level of work. And those like, clearly those parents had something to do with, with the work ethic here and, and, and explaining to them that, that there is no, there is no substitute for working hard and pushing yourself because both of them just seem to have such good attitudes about, about putting in the effort and yeah, they're going to make mistakes, uh, but then there are going to be games last night, like last night from AJ Griffin, where he looks every bit the, the big time NBA prospect that we were told he was coming into this season.
0: Look, I mean, when I was like two years old, when I was like for my birthday, whatever I got an Atari or I got a Commodore 64, or I got some board games, or I got some books. Adrian got his son's gyms because I mean, look, AJ Griffin's arms, that, that was not cultivated last year. That is, a, that is a lifelong process. You could tell the work that he has put into just his body to get it to where he is able to. Again, remember at the beginning of the season, we were talking about when, when he will he come back from his knee injury? And now we're talking about when can we ever take him off the court because he's that good so far. So it's the AJ that we were expecting in the preseason we were going to get. And I'm glad that is here at this point. I do want to shift quickly to the bad. Uh, because we do have some bad. I know we've worked some of it into the good, but I want to start with the rebounds because I think there was times where, again, a team that I thought we should have been just working on the rebounds out rebounded us 36 to 29. And I think a lot of it had to do with the first half. I think in the second half, it was skewed a little bit more in our favor. But when it comes to the rebounds, it's just about positioning. And I think there's a slight things that guys can do uh, with the positioning. I think one person that I'll point out and not necessarily to, to rag on him, but Mark Williams, I think there was a stark difference between his positioning in the first half and his positioning in the second half when it comes to defensive rebounds. And because that, he was able again to position himself to get the block or position himself to get a rebound and take the, and take the ball and feed, feed it out for a fast break. I think when it comes to him, it's just, just slight footwork. And I think if he continues to improve on his footwork, we're going to see more Mark Williams rebounds, especially when it counts.
1: You know, Mark Williams is also in, in my bad. And, and I want to be clear, you know, I'm not saying that Mark had a bad game, but uh, I, I thought you're, you're talking about footwork and, and, and positioning Duke repeatedly went into Mark Williams in the post in the first half, and he really struggled to finish. Uh, he needs to work more on those post moves. And the, the thing to me is he needs to understand that if it's not there, relocate the ball. Um, if he doesn't have the right angle, throw the ball back out to the perimeter, which by the way, often results in a good shot from the perimeter, or it'll allow you to, to rep- repost, reposition yourself and get a better angle. Mark at times, you know, in this game was, didn't have a great angle for a shot and took the shot anyway. And that's something I, I feel like he really needs to work on and get better at.
0: Yeah. And and also, I think it's just where he was. Like he was positioning himself a little bit further away from the basket and trying to back down a guy where the guy, if he gives an inch, he he doesn't have to. Right. Whereas if you start it a little bit lower, that guy's feet are now in that restricted area. So at this point, Mark Williams has the leverage. He's like anything that anything I do, this guy is going to get a blocking call because he's inside that circle. If he just positions himself a little bit further deep, where he can back down back that guy down into that restricted area he'll be much better and have more options with the basketball, especially going up because anything that goes up is going to be called a foul on the other team because he's inside that circle. On
2: a similar topic, I just wanted to come back to something that came up in the good. I know that we said that, that this game has a lot of good interwoven with bad uh, Paulo Bencaro last night, 24 points on 23 shots is really not the kind of output that, you want from your star player uh, it means that there are a lot of wasted shots going on and and I do still think there's a tendency for him to feel like he needs to be a, a bit more of the hero than he has to be on this team especially if if other guys are cooking the way that that AJ Griffin is so you know there are still a few uh, mid-range shots in, in Paula's game not as many last night but still some that I think are questionable and then and then just his um, his decision making even in the post, to, to, to make the right shot. And if not to make the right pass, I think there, like I was saying, I think there are still more passes that Duke could
1: be making to um, make the offense click just, just a little bit faster. Well, yeah, like we said, I mean, the first half, the passing was not there (laughs) at all. Uh, Sam, the only explanation I would have for for what you're talking about with Paula was I think he felt like he had to take on more of a role because Wendell Moore stepped back so significantly. We have, uh, you know, Wendell Moore has been, scoring upper teens for this team very, you know, very consistently. And and yet the past few games, uh, it feels like he's become a fraction of the player he was on, on offense, at least in terms of, you know, scoring and looking for his own shot. You know, at one point in the first half, he took a wretched contested turnaround jump shot from about 12 feet that had maybe a 25% chance of going in, took it on the baseline. I was like, why are you taking that shot? That's, that's a terrible shot. You know, unless you're desperate, and Duke was not desperate. Um, so, uh, you know, Wendell in this game only attempted five shots and only scored seven points. Uh, Duke is going to need more output than that. I mean, I want to be clear. He had a great game in other areas, especially in assists. He was steady, um, you know, and in the, in the second half, especially Duke was putting the ball in his hands and allowing him to create stuff for other people. And that's fabulous. But but we need more than seven points out of Wendell Moore, I think, for you know, as much as AJ stepped up in scoring, and as much as Sam talked about Paolo, you know, was having to take more shots, I think some of that is because Wendell wasn't able to find his shot. And that's something that we need, we need the Wendell Moore back that was 15, five, and five, not a Wendell that is only getting, you know, seven, eight, you know, points per game. I, I think the distribution. Of the basketball and just the the shot
0: selection from everybody on the floor is going to be the biggest challenge facing Duke over the next couple of weeks. Just as as you said, we have this new lineup now. Uh, we see we'll see if it continues. I I think we all agree that it probably will, but that is going to come with some you know just some tweaks on like hey Wendell you know how we get Wendell involved in the game? How do we get Mark Williams involved in the game? How do we continue to keep AJ involved in the game? And how do we get Paulo his shots?
1: I think is all going to be a question that we. Uh, that we have over the next couple of weeks, but what and 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 you know what, Donald? The, the one name you didn't mention there that I think we do we haven't said him at all, but I, I want to mention I, I thought Jeremy Roach, considering he got sent to the bench for like you know first time all season and and his minutes he'd been playing 30 plus, he, he gets less than 20 and it's get right around 19 and a half or so. Um, I, when he came in the game, I thought Jeremy Roach, you know, at times was doing a really really nice job. Um, he didn't let it get him down. At least it didn't appear to me, um, the fact that he wasn't starting. Uh, and, you know, we still need Jeremy Roach to be a good contributor. There were a couple times he had really, really nice assists um, to create very easy baskets for his teammates. I, I just wanted to praise him for a moment because it'd be real easy to get down when you get sent to the bench the way he did, taken out of the starting lineup the way he was. And and yeah, it, it sure feels like uh, you know, barring injury, Jeremy Roach is not going to be back in the starting lineup for for a while, I would think, um, at least in terms of how, you know, how the team is playing and how individuals are performing. I, I, I like the fact that Jeremy Roach is still keeping his head up and contributing nicely to this team's progression. Jason Evans, always ending the bad with the good. I appreciate that. So we'll leave it
0: there. Uh, Duke now 3-1 and one in the ACC, 13-2 and two overall. Next up, a weekend battle at home against NC State. On the other side of this break, we will preview what to expect from the Wolfpack. All right, y'all. Next up for Duke is another Tobacco Road rival on Saturday. NC state will come to camera to face the blue devils. And we want to make sure you're well-versed in what we can see on the basketball court. So first off, NC state's not having a good year right now, Uh, they're currently nine and eight on the season two and four in the ACC. They did just beat Louisville on the road last night by 16. So that is a positive change for them, Uh, but they, other than Louisville, they only have two top 100 wins according to Ken Palm. And that's at home to Louisiana tech and on the road at Virginia tech. So, uh, they also had a home win over Nebraska, I believe, in the ACC Big Ten Challenge that went four overtimes. So uh, they, they, when it comes to stamina, they can go, you know, quite a bit with with basketball because uh, four overtimes is no slouch of a game. I don't care who you're playing. But again, lately they have not been playing well. Their win last night was just their second win in eight games, and they've lost five in a row uh, at at one point, including one to Wright State uh, before they beat Virginia Tech last Tuesday. So. I want to turn it over to Sam. Sam, why don't you tell us about some of the players that we can look out for on this NC State team? Yeah, the, as I was looking, uh, looking at, at NC State this morning,
2: uh, I was remembering that Duke's game at NC State last year was one of the Uh, lone bright spots in an otherwise pretty dismal season Duke Duke uh, beat the pants off of NC State uh, in Raleigh last year this year the game is in Cameron so uh, hopefully Duke is able to to extract even more advantage from that I think you you highlighted it perfectly Donald that that NC State is just not having that great a year under Kevin Keats Um, they're 102nd in Ken Palm and probably unlikely to make the tournament without having you know win this weekend against Duke and and maybe a few other big wins. There just isn't that much on the resume for state. That being said, there are some, some interesting guys. Um, the, the sort of headliner on this team is a guy who's a sophomore who, who was uh, on the bench last year for NC state did not play all that much. And that's Darian Sebron. Um, he's a, he's sort of notionally a, a forward given his size, but, um, basically, plays point guard for state. He's, he's kind of a mid mid-sized point guard. So in that sense, um, they have a guy who would, who would be somewhat similar to Wendell Moore. Now that being said, not that great of a shooter. Um, he's a good scorer, um, averages <laughs> nearly 20 points and nearly 10 rebounds a game for state. Um, but a lot of that is inside. He's, he is creating and, and facilitating a lot, um, in, in a way that is is sort of unique given, given his size. Um, but, he he is basically playing power forward while also playing point guard. Um, he's joined in the in the post by Ebenezer Dewuna, who is a is a very large human being and uh, is mostly there for for offensive rebounds and and putbacks and dunks. Um, you'll notice here, I think that that there's not. Um, as much offensive firepower with NC State. That being said, um, two guys from the outside who can shoot it, Jericho Helms, who Duke fans should be familiar with. He is a a senior who has been at NC State for four years. Uh, I feel like when we were when we were talking about Wake Forest, it was this guy he transferred in last year and this other guy he transferred in two years ago. Helms has been at NC State for four straight years. I think that is incredible uh, in, in today's college basketball. And um, by the way, he shoots 41% from outside. So look for him and Turquavion Smith uh, is the other other outside threat for State. Um, Smith is a, is a freshman guard uh, who's also shooting a, a good clip from outside. And then the last starter on this team is Cam Hayes, um, not as much of an impact player. I think, you know, uh, smaller guy, you would have notionally expected him to be the point guard, but isn't kind of putting up the the numbers that that Sebron is playing. So uh, that's sort of the, the starting lineup for State. They don't have a super deep bench. Um, I don't think any of the guys uh, on their bench are like particularly notable. There aren't. I don't believe there are big NBA prospects on this team. So this is like many other ACC opponents that Duke is going to face this season, not a team that that matches up with Duke talent wise. There is some experience, but not nearly as much as wake forest or Miami had. So, you know, if, if you're looking at this from a, um, from from an experience and, and talent standpoint, you know, just matching up the lineups, you really expect Duke to have a significant advantage over NC State. But I do want um, to give Jason a chance to chime in with the with the team wide analytics because I think that will um, will will give you a bit more color on on what to expect.
1: Yeah, so uh, like you said, uh, NC State is 102nd at Ken Palm 102. They have the 41st best offensive efficiency and the 185th. That's right, number 185 in defensive efficiency. Not good. Uh, the Ken Pomeroy computers expect the Duke Blue Devils to win this game by 15 points. Uh, in terms of NC State, um, despite having a good offense, you know, like I said, 41st best, um, they play at a fairly slow pace. I would not expect this to be you know, a track race running up and down the floor. NC State doesn't want to do that kind of stuff. Um, and they're good on offense because they don't turn the ball over. They are top 15 in the country. I'll say that again, top 15 in the country at turnover percentage. They're top 25 in the country at not giving up steals. It's really hard to take the ball away from them. But as, as Sam sort of alluded to, they're, they're not really great shooters. They don't have a lot of guys who can fill it up. They're, they're ranked in the 200s in two-point field goal percentage and in three-point field goal percentage. They hit less than 33% of their threes overall. So you wouldn't expect them to, to rain threes down on Duke very much. They're very much a one-on-one kind of offensive team. Um, Their assist percentage, you know, the number of shots they get off of assists is in the bottom 50 in the country, uh, which is, you know, very poor. This is, you know, like I said, a a team that wants to go one-on-one on, Uh, on on defense. They're, they're very poor defensive team. Uh, You know, it looks like they, they, they do a a terrible job of stopping teams from getting what they want to get. As a result, um, NC state's opponents hit better than 50% of their two point field goals. That's a big number. If you can hit 50% of your two-point field goals, you're probably doing fairly well. Um, and and state isn't even all that good at stopping teams from shooting threes. Teams hit about 35% of their three-pointers against state. Um, State's okay at blocking shots and getting steals. Um, not not special, but not bad at those two arenas. Uh, and you know the interesting thing is that um, that on rebounding, they're. They're an okay offense. This is sort of weird. You don't see this very often. They're an okay offensive rebounding team. They, they get almost 32% of their offensive rebounds. That's, you know, 88th best in the country, top 100 offensive rebounding team. But they're a terrible defensive rebounding team. 244th in the country at defensive rebounding. You know, sometimes you see a team that like doesn't try to, like Miami was a team where we saw this, where they, they didn't offensive rebound at all. They just don't go for offensive rebounds, but they're good at defensive rebounding. It is really rare. To see a team that, that gets offensive rebounds and not defensive rebounds. But that's NC State. It's, it's very strange. And I, I expect that, uh, you know, Duke's a fairly decent offensive rebounding team. I expect that could be something that, that we really focus on a lot. And, and I, I wanted to mention just very quickly, uh, you know, Sam was giving us the players. And there were not a lot of names there other than, other than uh, uh, Jericho Hellams. There are not a lot of guys there where you're like, oh, I recognize that name. I know that guy. This NC State team is really young. I mean, like really young. They're basically all freshmen and sophomores other than Helms. Um, Ken Pomeroy says they're the 303rd most experienced team in the country. And <laughs> by the way, th- their best player, Sebron, I said he's a sophomore,
2: but th- it's not like a sophomore who was like a standout freshman. He like barely exactly. played last year. And, yeah. and when he did play, it wasn't like he was that effective. He, the leap he's made is, is pretty incredible, but it really is coming from you know very little experience from
1: last year. Yeah, and, and we've been used to – it feels like Duke is constantly playing teams this year that are very, very experienced, that have guys who are fourth- and fifth-year seniors and all that other kind of stuff. Yeah, there's just very little of that on this NC State team. It's, uh, it's a team that, like Duke, is very – they're not as young as Duke, but they're close. <laughs> um, and then the last thing I wanted to mention, Sam mentioned their center, uh, Ebenezer Duwona. Um, his usage rate. Now, usage rate is how often you get the ball on offense and, like, take a shot. Or, or get an assist or have a turnover usage rate. His usage rate is 7.6%. I want to repeat that. There are only five guys on the floor at one time. You know, the average usage rate is 20% because you either, you know, take a shot or turn the ball over. The possession ends with you one out of every, it should be, you know, for most guys, it's one out of every five times. Duona's usage rate is 7.6%. I don't think I've ever seen a guy who had a usage rate that low. I told you, know, you we,
2: he's just there for
0: offensive
1: rebounds and putbacks. Yeah. Like, you know, we call that That's
0: all cardio. That man, that man is just getting his, his, his conditioning on on the court throughout the game. That's all he's doing.
1: And it's worth noting, other than him, other than Duona, they, they don't have big players. He's the only big guy they've got. And, and they've got a lot of guys who are like in the 6'7", 180, 190 kind of range. Like, they don't even have guys who are like 6'7", 6'8", and kind of beefy. Paulo Banquero is going to be guarded by someone who's going to be six, seven, maybe 200 pounds. Paulo's going to have three inches and 30 pounds pounds. on (laughs) on everyone guarding him. AJ Griffin and Wendell Moore are both going to look big in this game. Yep. Yeah. NC State is young and they're thin. Not a good combination against Duke. Well, hopefully that
0: means uh, a lot of second chance putbacks for us, a lot of rebounds, because as you said, they're not great at grabbing. Defensive rebound. So hopefully that opens the door for a lot of second chance points is something that we haven't got a lot in games recently uh, due to uh, rebounding. But we will leave it here. Uh, And again, that game Saturday, ABC uh, at 2
1: p.m. Eastern time. Uh, So we're on network TV. Hey, hey, by the way, game is on Saturday. Do you know what else is Saturday? It's my birthday. I turned 55 on Saturday. Duke better give me a good birthday present and blow the NC State Wolfpack out of the – blow the doors off him let's Blow get that for off.
2: jason that, that that that's that's perfect
1: i like it
0: uh, marry this into the universe make the metaverse the the spider verse all the verses let's make it where jason has a great 55th birthday uh so happy early birthday jason evans Thank again, you. turning the big five five on saturday so what happens at 55 to- i feel do, is there some milestone that happens at 55
1: your, your body doesn't feel as good as it did at 45. Yeah, but, you that.
2: But, yeah but, but that happens at
1: 54. Like I, I'll be, yeah, that happens at 32. So. D- um, dude, wait, wait, no, no, hold on. <laughs> I got to tell you, I remember at least a little bit how I felt in my 30s and 40s. <sighs> 50s are tough, man. 55, starting on Saturday, I will be closer to 60 than 50. That sucks. <laughs> I mean. No,
2: you're,
1: you're wise with experience.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, it, it, It's useful. It's useful. I, but here's the thing. Let's just let's get through Saturday. Let's have a nice birthday for Jason. Let's get a nice Duke basketball win as a nice birthday gift. Make sure you tune in for that. But that will do it for episode 378 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. A reminder to all of you out there that we have an email address and has been used heavily uh, over the last few weeks. And we appreciate it. So you can send us questions, comments, topic suggestions. Hit us up podcast at gmail.com also you can like subscribe rate and review the show we appreciate it greatly we will be back over the weekend after jason is done celebrating his birthday and we will recap the nc state game and tackle any other news that may come our way so for sam klein and jason evans i'm donald wine and now we leave the duke band to take us all home
1: get well soon coach k